0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Philippians chapter 4 on your electronic device or your Bible. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up, not this week, but next week, most Lord willing, our Joyful Life series, the verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. And, And man, I can tell you the book ends with a bang. These last several, these last, really, this last chapter it is as impactful as the first three, I think. But it's just an incredibly rich book that has a lot of practical information for us. Um, the last two weeks, we've been talking about the importance of guarding your mind. About how your mind is, is really your battlefield. And what you allow in your mind is really going to determine where your feet go. You, you know, what you ponder is what you will practice. And so, for the last two weeks, we've kind of considered that, and and with with the idea of anxiety, depression kind of riddling our world today, uh, you know, our kids particularly, these younger generations, are more worried than ever. And so, you know, this becomes incredibly practical information for us in terms of how we can deal with these issues in our lives. And I'm not talking about Uh, You know, I'm talking about general anxiety, general depression. I'm not talking about specific disorders that people have. I'm talking about just general worry. We all worry about different things, and that creates anxiety. And sometimes we think we have a disorder when it's just, you know, common worry. So, you know, the Lord will work all those things out, but if you will apply his word, you will find, uh, you know, truth, and you will find uh, peace in it. The Lord tells us to take every thought captive to obey Christ and to dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, and whatever is, pray- is worthy of praise. If we do that, many of us will never experience anxiety or, or depression again if we continue to apply God's word to our life. Now that theme doesn't change as we move into verses 10 through 13. Paul is not changing theme. And so it's really important we understand that because in this text hosts one of the most, I believe, possibly one of the most misquoted, misapplied texts in all of the Bible. And it's, it's a cliche saying that we say in every circumstance and situation of our lives, and we quote the verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're going to find out exactly what that means and what the context is of that verse this morning. You know, it's not to be a cliche statement on our coffee cup or hung on our wall to be used in any, you know, any kind of personal, uh, you know, agenda that we have or whatever. We don't don't apply God's word that way. We keep it in context. And we're going to see exactly why Paul said that verse and how we should apply it into our lives. I hope you're excited about that. You sound like you are. So, praise the Lord for that. Um, Paul wants to teach us this morning about a topic that is very, very, very difficult for many of us. and It's a topic of contentment. To be content. He wants you to to understand that where God has you is where he wants you. And where he wants you is best for you. And so, if you will stand, we're going to read this text together and we're gonna we're gonna check out what what it means to be content Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 10 Paul says I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you have had no opportunity now not that I'm speaking Of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that we are about to unfold this morning and that you are about to call us to apply to our lives. And we ask you, Lord, on this Father's Day, that you being a good, good father would come and speak into our lives and cause us, Lord, to become more like Jesus. Lord, our prayer is that you would confront the things that offend you in our hearts this morning, that you would remove those things that are chaining us up, Lord, you would set us free this morning, that you would cause us, Lord, to have a greater understanding of the circumstances that we might find ourselves in, and what the purpose in it might be. Would you come and teach us, Lord, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, through the blood of your Son, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I can tell you that I, as I was studying this week, that I was telling Pastor Brian this morning, I don't think I've ever come across a text in being a pastor for how many ever years I have been, that I've been this discontent with my study. Like I'm, I'm teaching about contentment, but I'm so discontent in my study. And, and I can't help but feel, maybe you're going to feel that way. Maybe that's the point. You're going to be discontent with what the Lord says about your circumstances this morning. I don't know. But here's what I know. Is that discontentment is, 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 is a huge issue in our country today. Discontentment is not only a huge issue in the world, but discontentment is a huge issue in the church. We are consumers. And we tend to have that consumer mentality when it comes to our Christianity. And the Lord wants to confront that in our lives because we are not consumers. We are worshipers. We are givers. We are not takers. We are called to lay our lives out before the Lord, not not just live off of the Lord laying out His life on our behalf, although He did do that for us. And so, you know, this, this is one of these texts when you come across, you really are confronted with your own lifestyle. And you have to ask yourself, Lord, am I I say I trust you. I say that I'm, I'm content in you and all these things, but am I really? And, and the text itself, if you will be honest with yourself as you read through it, it will bear your soul. It will tell you. Are you content? And I can say that as I struggled with this passage this last week, that I can say that the Lord revealed some discontentment in my own heart. Some things in my own life where I Maybe I'm discontent about a circumstance in my life or where I am in my progress or whatever it might be. But the Lord wants to remind you, as he reminded me this morning, that he has you right where he wants you. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not in a rush to do anything in your life because right where you are is where he's working. No, he's not trying to get you three miles down the road so that he can make you more like Jesus. He's making you more like Jesus right now. And as you get three miles down the road, hopefully you will become more like Jesus, right? So this is an incredible opportunity for each one of us this morning to be real with our hearts, to be real with ourselves and say, Lord, where do I sit? Am I content in you? I love what um, one pastor said. He said, listen, God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied with him. And that is an incredible statement because that is truth. If we're looking for satisfaction somewhere else, then we are in idolatry. If we are looking for satisfaction in a job, in a relationship, in in an economic status, in a health situation, then we are looking for the wrong thing when we find satisfaction in God no matter where we are in life, that's when we're pleasing Him because we're walking by faith. We're trusting the Lord. And it's impossible to please the Lord without faith, folks. So I want to encourage you this morning, man, to hear what the Lord would say to you. Our country is riddled with this concept of discontentment. We live in the most prosperous, one of the most prosperous nations in the world, and it's not enough for many of us. We have the J.D. Rockefeller syndrome. You know, just a little bit more syndrome. Rockefeller was asked by a, um, a reporter one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. You know what that says? I'm not content with where I am. I need just a little bit more. Our country, our churches are plagued with, with people that have just a little bit more syndrome, if only I had just a little bit more wealth, if only I had just a little bit better spouse, if only I had just a little bit better church, reality is that if you're not content with what you have right now, you won't be content with what you're asking for, right? If you're not content with where you are, you won't be content with what you're asking for. Contentment isn't a result of possession. Contentment is a discipline of the heart. It's something that you have to discipline yourselves. Listen, if you just get a little bit more prosperity, it's not going to make you happier. Studies have proven and shown that the more prosperous people become, the less happy they become. And that's, I mean, you could look at Hollywood, you can see these people that have millions and millions of dollars. They could do whatever they want in the world, and they are committing suicide, and they're not happy, and they're on drugs, and they're going to rehab, and they're, you know, they're riddled with all these same issues everybody else has. Because as it says, you know, money can't buy happiness. It's not about prosperity, prosperity in terms of making us happy. It won't make you happy. This is called the prosperity paradox. In his book, Power of Full Engagement, Jim Lower wrote, researchers have found almost no correlation between income levels and happiness. Between 1957 and 1990, income levels in the U.S. doubled. Yet, at the same period, people's levels of happiness did not increase. In fact, reports of depression actually increased tenfold. Incidents of divorce, suicide, alcoholism, drug abuse also rose dramatically a little bit more, let alone double, still isn't enough, folks. It will never be enough. It reminds me of a story of two friends that I heard about that met on a street one day, and one looked hopeless and on the verge of tears, and so the other friend asked him, hey, what in the world is going on with you, old friend? And the sad fellow said, well, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money, his friend said. But you see, two weeks ago, A cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000, free and clear. Sounds to me like you're being very blessed, the man said. You don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited a quarter of a million dollars from her. (laughs) The friend looks at him. He's very confused, and he says, Friend, why in the world are you so glum? And the man replied, Well, this week, I've got nothing. That just, do you get it? Do I need to explain that to you folks? Are you guys awake? Oh, it's just not funny. I get it. Okay, there you go. Here's the point. It's a powerful illustration of the reality that a little bit more won't satisfy you. You'll always be looking for just a little bit more. In an article titled, Materialism and Discontentment in a Prosperous America, millennial author and historian Joshua Charles writes, the income of the average American has risen dramatically in real terms in the last 40 years. The average American home is a thousand square feet bigger than it used to be 40 years ago, despite that our families are smaller. The average American diet is 500 calories more per person than it was 40 years ago. The average American turned a will multiple times to call someone 40 years ago. Now we have smartphones to give us virtual access to any media information or person in the world, and it fits in the palm of our hand. And not only that, but life expectancy has gone up over a decade in the past 40 years. Fun fact, the average American lives in more material comfort than the SARS of Russia did nearly 100 years ago. Yet Americans are less happy than ever before because we're pursuing something that can never satisfy prosperity and self-indulgence. It's humanism, folks. That's what it is at the core. A little bit more is nothing more than idolatry. Nothing more than idolatry. In his book, Just a Little Bit More, T. Carlos Anderson argues that the pursuit of a little bit more has become the American's bread and butter religion. He stated that many worship the unholy trinity of commerce, materialism, and consumption. And he hit the nail on the head in the diagnosis. It's idolatry. John Calvin summarized idolatry as this. He said, For what is idolatry, if not this, to worship the gifts in place of the giver himself? What is idolatry, if not this, to worship the gifts in place of the giver himself? Discontentment is nothing more than a symptom of an idolatrous heart. If you're discontent in something, it's because that something has captured your heart and it's become your God. It can be a person. It can be a possession. It can be a bank account. It can be all kinds of different things. It's been said by many that the heart is an idol factory. It can be all kinds of things. That's why it's important that we learn to be content with Everything God has given us and allowed in our lives lest we begin to worship the gift over the giver. And I'm sure glad that Paul figured it all out for us, aren't you? Aren't you, figure, aren't you glad that he said, hey, empowered by the Holy Spirit, let me give you some secrets about how to be content in this world. He stated in verse 11 that it's something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to learn, to be content. It's something that we have to learn in our lives. What does it mean to be content? Well, it's defined as being happy or content with what one has. Uh, Content with circumstances in which one exists. Someone defined it as an inner peace of rest, an inner sense of rest or peace. I think according to our text, Contentment is defined like this, a state of rejoicing, resting, and relying on God in all circumstances. I think the text itself defines for us what contentment is in the biblical sense. It is rejoicing, resting, and relying on God no matter what's going on in your life. And listen, it doesn't come naturally, does it? It's not something that we just wake up in the morning, we're like, oh, man, I'm so content. I don't want a single thing, Lord. I'm so glad. That's not reality for us. In fact, we wake up saying, how can I get the next thing? My neighbor has this. I think I need that. I just saw this thing on TV. Oh, my gosh, I have to have it? You know, you have, have your kids watch advertising and they are like, dad, I want that. And then the next commercial going, on, Dad, I want that. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And you know what? We do the same thing, don't we? The new iPhone version comes out, and you're like, dude, i got to get rid of this one. This ain't good anymore. i got to get the new one. You know, the new one has a better camera on it. and It's like $1,000 more, but I'm going to get it because I have to have it. I have to have the new technology. Whatever it is, it could be a car. You don't think that, um, that, that, that the enemy and also the world has figured out how to get inside your mind and pull out desires that are within you to create those desires to become actions, it's called marketing. That's what they do. They target you. They know how you think and why you think the way you think. And so they target that to bait you to come in. That's why you desire the next thing immediately. You know, you're not satisfied with what you have because you're allowing your mind to be consumed with just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Well, there's three things that Paul wants us to understand about being content in our uh, text this morning, there is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Contentment is found in rejoicing in God's sovereignty. Contentment is found in rejoicing in God's sovereignty. Paul said in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity now, when Paul's writing this, again, I, I, let me just fill you in again in case you forgot. He's writing this from a prison. So the, the idea of being content and he being in prison is like a, a conundrum. You know, it's like, hey, just be content with where you are. And he's, he's saying, I'm doing this. I'm practicing what I'm pondering. I'm not allowing my mind to become my battlefield. I'm, I'm using it as a tool to, um, to, to glorify God with. And so I'm taking every thought captive. I'm not allowing myself to let my circumstances dictate uh, you know, what my feet are going to do. I'm going to focus on God. And that's what he's doing. And God is using him. And so he, he's reflecting back 10 years from this moment in his life where he planted this church in in Philippi. And immediately when he planted this church, uh, this church came alongside Paul and began to financially support him. They, they began to pour into him and say, man, we want to help you uh, get the gospel out more. And so they became partners with Paul in ministry. And it was an incredible thing for this church. They were vibrant. They were healthy. They were excited. And, and they, were, they were engaged in the mission of God. But something happened. Uh, we don't know what happened exactly. Paul makes a reference to it in 2 Corinthians. It could be that maybe the church came under heavy persecution and they didn't have resources to be able to continue to support Paul. But at some point in this ministry, uh, in Paul's ministry before he went to prison, they weren't able to continue to support him. And so they're gifting they stopped giving. They couldn't do it. But Paul said it wasn't because they stopped caring. It had nothing to do with the, their ability to. They, they cared for Paul, but for some reason, they had no opportunity to give. They didn't have an opportunity to give. So fast forward 10 years. Now something's changed. We don't, we don't know what is, what's going on, but we know that, that they are in a different position. And when they heard that Paul was in prison, they sent a guy named Epaphrodites to Paul in prison. You might recall this from chapter 2 when we went through it. Epaphroditus came with, with gifts for them. In fact, we'll read about them next week. And he came and he brought Paul something for his need, he says, in Philippians chapter 2.25. And so now Paul is, Paul is thanking them for what they've done. For, that, they're, that they're able, that they have opportunity now to, to support. Now, now what I want you to understand is look who he's rejoicing in and what he's rejoicing in. He's not rejoicing in the believers in Philippi. He's not rejoicing in them. He's also not rejoicing in the gift. Sometimes we get mixed up, but what he is doing is he's rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing in God's sovereignty. He's saying, I know you didn't have opportunity, but now I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing in the Lord because he's opened up a door. It's the Lord who is in control. It's the Lord who has allowed you to give at one point and then you weren't able to give and now you're able to give again. God is in control. And he's rejoicing in the Lord. And some of us, you know, we 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 rejoice in our circumstances, but we're not rejo- that's not rejoicing in the Lord, folks. That's re- that's rejoicing that's circumstantial uh, rejoicing was isn't joy at all. That's happiness. Happ- happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is gladness regardless of circumstances, right? These, Paul is saying, I've been full of joy the whole time because God is in control. And when you get that in your, in your heart and your mind, when you understand that no matter what circumstance you face, that God is in control, you too can rejoice. And it doesn't matter what it is that you're going through. You can rejoice, Paul is rejoicing in the sovereignty of God. Notice that he's, he's now, uh, well, let me, let me just back up for a second. Notice that their, uh, their concern for Paul was revived, it says. It says their concern was revived. What that means is that it bloomed again. It bloomed again. God had put them in a position where they could now financially support him. It was all part of God's plan the whole time. And I would tell you that whatever you're going through, whether it be past, present, or future, is also part of God's plan in your life. Whether it be a really stupid cir- uh, decision that you made that put your, you put yourself in a situation, and now you're dealing with a cer- God. God still is sovereign in that moment. You know that. God's plan will be accomplished, folks. He's sovereign. That means He's in control. So every decision you make, he's foreknew about. He understood these things. And so he's been at work the whole time. And he works in every circumstance. I hope that brings you great comfort. For some of you, that might bring you great distress. You're thinking, why is he letting me do that? Why is he allowing me to do that? We'll get to that in a second. Just hold on to that thought. But, But that should bring us great comfort to know that God is in control of everything. Every circumstance that we find ourselves going through. Paul understood that. That's why he's not freaking out. Listen, when you're in prison in this culture, they don't feed you. You don't get to go to the gym. You don't get to have this plush little cell with a toilet and all this stuff, man. This is a dungeon. You're there to die, and they don't provide for you. The only way that you eat is if your family and friends bring you something. This is no joke. He's there to die. And in fact, he's also being sentenced at the same time. He knows that his fate is, in a moment's notice, he could be gone off the face of this earth. And he's saying, man, just be content. Just be content. This is a guy I want to learn from. Somebody who's speaking from that vantage point that is there, that's gone through it and can tell you, listen, this is how you successfully navigate through these things. I love that Paul didn't freak out when they stopped supporting him. Oh, man, what am I going to do now? He didn't, he didn't get on, you know, on the radio or a televangelism and say, listen, folks, If you don't support me now, if you don't tuck that love gift in right now, there's no way that my ministry can continue to go on And all of these things. He wasn't dependent on man. In fact, it would seem to me that Paul didn't really like people knowing his financial situation at all. We don't hear him complain about what he has or what he doesn't have. Because his focus isn't on that. You hear about pastors that step in pulpits that complain all the time about what they don't have. We need more. We got to have more. Can you just give a little more? Somebody right here in here today is going to write a check for $5,000. I'm not sure who you are, but the Lord is telling. Wait, there's another one. Someone's got 10. You know, I mean, these kinds of things that people are doing on TV. And guess what? Those checks are being written. And, and guess what? Those people will stand accountable for those things. And I'm not saying God can't do that. But I'm saying that it is abused. It is incredibly abused. And that's why money becomes such a huge issue in a church. And, you know, it becomes a stumbling block for me. That's why we put a box in the back. You give to the Lord. You don't give to me. You don't give to our leadership. You give to the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. You know, and and we we trust the Lord that he will provide. Paul is saying, you know, I'm not worried about I have needs. Yeah, but you know what? I'll trust the Lord with my needs. He is my provider. We'll see that in a second. The Lord will provide. You know, I I think it's probably Paul that coined the phrase, where God guides, he provides. And, you know, he he really lived his life like that. That was his motto, where God guides, he provides. He wasn't stressing out about how am I going to get the financial resources to do what what it is that God's calling me to do. Uh, Last time I checked, God doesn't have a resource problem. Like, he has a 401K way deeper than you could ever think. Like, his investments are so, I mean, his portfolio is beyond anything that you could imagine. He does not have a resource problem. So, if we know that and we know that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children, then we know that whatever God is withholding from us or whatever it is that we want that he's not giving us is because it's for our good, not because he doesn't have the resources to give it. Right? We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. We know that he will provide. He will... He will give us what we need. Paul trusts the Lord. Perhaps we should apply what what Job said and really take it to heart. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, Job was a man that lost his whole family. Right? He says he and his wife lost all his possessions. And you know what he said right after that? He said, The Lord gives... And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now I know that some of you are saying, dude, that sounds crazy. That that sounds insane that somebody would do that. It is insane. It is crazy. But what it is, is the reality of its reality of trust. It's a trust. We just read that God has the capacity to give us a peace. That surpasses understanding. That means you're not going to understand it. That means other people aren't going to understand I don't understand why you're so joyful about this situation. You just lost everything you have, Job. Hey, it's all the Lord's. Last time I checked, I checked into this world with nothing, and I will check out of it with nothing. It's all his. So, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how Paul lived. That's how we're called to live, be it a promotion or a job loss, be it, you know, a clean bill of health or a diagnosis of disease, you name the circumstance, blessing or difficulty. God is in control. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, in a nutshell, you know what that says? God is in control of every circumstance. And he's working, even even your mistakes. He might not orchestrate every single moment, but he uses every single moment for your good. Romans 8, 28, you know the verse. Even the hard stuff he does. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul understood that the believers were put in a position where they had no opportunity to give. It's not that they didn't want to give. They just didn't have opportunity to. But now Paul is rejoicing in the Lord, knowing that it's all part of his sovereign plan. And just FYI, this is just me knowing in my own relationship with the Lord how that works. That probably means Paul was, like, right in the nick of, like, just not, you know, right at the last moment, like, I wonder... If God's gonna do this and he shows up, I'm gonna trust the Lord. This is the same thing that George Mueller did with orphanages his orphanage over in, in England where he wouldn't tell anybody about his financial situation except for the Lord. And there were times where he had no food. There was one particular time where he had no food for the for these orphans in this particular uh, he knew the day before he had no food for him. So he woke up early, he'd been praying, he didn't tell anybody anything. Obviously, his workers were asking, dude, what are you doing? And he said, just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He gets up early. He goes to the orphanage. And it just so happens that a businessman that that night had swung by and dropped off a provision for them, and they had food for the next two days. And that's how God does it. You know, uh, Hudson Taylor, same thing. Hudson Taylor would be in, he never, he never told his boss. I mean, some of us, and I'm not saying this is wrong, uh, but, but Hudson Taylor, his boss would, was supposed to pay him on certain days, right? But his boss always forgot to pay him. Coincidental, right? Yeah. But uh, anyhow, Hudson Taylor actually would never tell his boss. He wouldn't remind him. He told the Lord. And, and he did that because he was preparing himself to go to China, where he knew the only person that he was going to be able to rely on is the Lord. And so he, he made this discipline in his life to be content with whatever God gave him. And every time he had need, God would fulfill that need. He would pray to the Lord, and God would fulfill that need. But that's just theoretical, right? That's not how it works in my life. Try it. I dare you. Try it. You, you can't say that's not how it works until you do it. You know, I know it doesn't make sense logically, but, but don't say it doesn't work until you do it. Truly trust the Lord. Say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you take this situation, and I'm going to let you work in it. And I'm going to trust in your sovereignty. I'm going to trust that you're going to orchestrate every footstep. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to trust you that I'm not going to try and wiggle. And you know, how, you know where you do that, where you try and say, well, I'm trusting God, but I'm going to go ahead and do this. No, that's a backup plan. I'm talking about doing what you know to do in the moment and trusting the God in the, God in the moment. Right? Contentment is not complacency. Complacency is to say, I'm not going to do anything about this at all, even if I have the capacity to do this. Right? I have a disease, but I'm not going to change my diet because, you know, God's in control. Listen, that... That's irresponsible. That's complacency. Contentment says, I'm going to be okay with whatever God allows in my life. I'll do what I can do, but I'm going to let God be in control of these circumstances and situations. And that's difficult for us to get. But as a parent, I, I think that's the perfect analogy of this whole thing about God being sovereign. I don't think there's a better comparison. Because God, in God's sovereignty, He withholds certain things from us. Sometimes He allows pain in our life. You know. But don't you do that as a parent? I mean, I would venture to say that as a parent, you know, none of you have given er your kid everything they wanted, have you? If you have, then you're a bad parent. (laughs) But my guess is that there's something you've withheld from your kid because you knew that that wasn't the best for them. Like, you're you're withholding because you know something better. That's not going to be good for them. Right? You don't give kids a bunch of candy for breakfast every day. Right? Unless you're a dad and your mom's gone. But that's a different story. But, but you withhold, right? There's times where you, you inflict pain in their life, not randomly, but purposely. There's purposeful pain that you inflict in their life to instill a memory in their mind to say, hey, I don't want to do that again because that hurt. You're training them. But when God does that in our life, we say, how could you do that to me? He's a good dad. He's a great father. And that's why he does these things. Listen, there are times God will withhold and there are times that he will will inflict pain in our lives or allow pain to be inflicted in our lives because it produces a Christ-likeness in us or maybe it brings us to that place of salvation. But there is also another thing that parents do that the father does perfectly and that is you know how many of you have blessed the socks off your kids before every parent has blessed the socks off their kids in some way shape or form somehow and god does that too he blesses your socks off he is a god of grace he's a god that gives us what we do not deserve but he withholds that which we do deserve he's a good dad and he loves us incredibly and you know He's in control of everything, but listen, he is working and orchestrating everything out for your good. If you would just look up, you would see him. You would see what he... You, you might not see exactly what he's trying to do, but you would see that his hand involved in the situation. Listen, this is, a, this is a walk of faith, not a walk of sight. You can't look at your circumstances and say, well, I just can't see how... God could use this for my good. You walk by faith, and you say, with my spiritual eyes, I can see how you could do it, Lord. Not the the exact circumstance, but I can see it because you're God, and you can do anything, and you trust the Lord. Contentment is found in rejoicing in God's sovereignty. Secondly, contentment is found in resting in God's provision. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content... I know how to be brought low. I know how to be, I I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Listen, our culture has a funny way of defining need. You know that? We have a funny way of defining what it is that we need. I just, oh man, I absolutely need that new car. I absolutely need that bigger house. I absolutely need that particular, you know, savings account. I need that. I have to have that. You know, Dave Ramsey says, if I ain't got a thousand bucks in the bank, man, then I am just... Well, listen. The only thing you absolutely need is Jesus. That is... the oh, And I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm saying the only thing you absolutely need is Jesus. Because without Jesus, your eternity, man... Amen. Without Jesus, your eternity is at stake. I mean, he, he has the capacity to move you from... FROM HELL TO HEAVEN. THAT'S A BIG DEAL. IN THE SCHEME OF THINGS, THAT IS THE ONLY THING THAT MATTERS, FOLKS. IT IS THE ONLY THING THAT MATTERS. AND EVERYTHING ELSE IN OUR LIVES IS REALLY FAIRLY TRIVIAL, TO BE HONEST. WHETHER WE LIVE TILL WE'RE 80 OR WHETHER WE LIVE TILL WE'RE 20, AS LONG AS I HAVE JESUS, I AM GOOD. I AM IN GOOD SHAPE. A hundred years ago, the average American could produce a list of seventy things that he or she needed. You know how many things we say we need now? Over five hundred. Over five hundred things that we say we absolutely need. We we gotta have these things or we can't get by. Listen, Paul wants these believers in Philippi to know that he's not talking about his need here at all. He's not talking about the need that he has. He's not th- not telling them, hey, you need to feel bad for not supplying for me because I've been in need. That's why he says it the way he says it. But what he does say is God has taught me the most valuable lesson that I could ever l- learn in my life, and that is how to be content, how to, how, to be at, how to be at rest in the midst of my financial circumstances, how to rest in God's provision, HOW TO REST in, 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 IN THE LORD HIMSELF. AND HE SAID, NO ONE CAN TAKE THAT AWAY FROM ME. I DON'T CARE WHAT CIRCUMSTANCE I GET MYSELF IN OR THE LORD ALLOWS IN MY LIFE. I CAN REST IN HIM BECAUSE I'M CONTENT, BECAUSE I KNOW THAT HE IS MY PROVIDER. THIS IS KIND OF WHAT DAVID SAID, ISN'T IT? IN PSALM 23-1, YOU KNOW THE VERSE? YOU GUYS KNOW PSALM 23? THE LORD IS MY SHEPHERD, I SHALL NOT WANT. NOW WHAT DAVID ISN'T SAYING IS THAT I'M NEVER GOING TO HAVE A NEED BECAUSE THE LORD IS MY SHEPHERD. THAT'S NOT WHAT HE'S SAYING. HE'S SAYING THE LORD IS MY SHEPHERD, THEREFORE THAT'S ALL I NEED. THE LORD IS MY SHEPHERD, I SHALL NOT WANT. IT DOESN'T MATTER WHAT I NEED IN THIS LIFE, I HAVE THE LORD, SO I HAVE EVERYTHING. I DON'T NEED ANYTHING ELSE. The Lord will orchestrate my life. He'll, he'll cause me to lie down by green pastures. He'll draw me to the streams of water. He'll do all of these things in my life. I have what I need because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Contentment is found in what is, what is not found in what is provided but in the one who provides it. It's not found in what, what's provided but, but the one who provides it. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, God has given me, he's given me a lot at times, and then God has given me a little at times. He's blessed my socks off, and then he's let me go without. But in the midst of it all, he's given me what I need in the moment. He is my provider. He's given me everything that I need, and that's where my contentment comes from, resting in him. David wrote in Psalm 34, 9 through 10, Oh, fear the Lord, you you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You have what you need. Paul isn't saying, shame on you, Philippians, for not supplying for my needs, as if they're his provider. God is his provider. And in this case, he is supplied through them. He's given them something through them. But Paul's learned... No matter what, I'm going to be content with whatever the Lord has given me. Now, how do we learn this? How do we learn this? Oftentimes, we learn it through suffering and trials. That's how we learn it. I mean, how can you learn something unless it, it you know, it really doesn't cost you something? It, it's got to cost you something for you to get it, right? When you learn something, you know, you've put effort into trying to understand it, and, and God puts us in circumstances so we can learn. Like, he wants us to learn, and he wants us to learn about this thing called contentment. So guess what? He'll put you in circumstances. Don't be surprised if this up and coming next week, you're not put in circumstances where you are tried in your contentment because you just heard the word of God go forth, and God's going to give you an opportunity to apply it. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. It's true. But, but, but God, he's teaching us something. And he's teaching us how to rest in him in, as our provider in every circumstance. It's easy. It's easy to trust God when you have what you perceivingly need. You know, you have a bank account that you can rely on, or, you know, maybe it's a credit card that you're relying on, or maybe it's, it's something else other than God, but you're, but you're, you're okay. You're at rest because you have the means to be able to handle your situation. Well, guess what? God will put you in a circumstance where you don't have the means to meet your circumstance. And when he puts you in that circumstance, that's when you know whether you're content or not. That's when you know whether you're trusting God to provide for you or whether you're just saying it and doing it yourself. The advice from the writer of Hebrews is definitely worth taking. He said... In Hebrews 13 5 keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you or forsake you and we know that that the love of the love of money not money the love of money is the root of all evil keep yourself free from that it will it's a trap folks it's a trap I'm reading a study from uh, the Barna group right now it's actually a book that divulges all this information about about modern-day discipleship and what the deal is with discipleship and why, you know, people in the church, it's not that they don't want to be discipled, it's that they're so consumed with this culture and with trying to make a living for themselves that they're so busy that they have no time for discipleship. And this is where priorities come in. We have to say, man, i got to make a living, but how much of a living do I have to make and these are the sacrifices that we make in order to, you know, become more like Jesus, right? You can be, be like Jesus wherever you are. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to make a ton of changes in your life. But the question is, what is your priority? And the writer of Hebrews says, just be careful that money's not your priority because God's your provider. And if that's your priority, then that's your God. And if that's your God, then your life will, you'll pursue that OVER EVERYTHING ELSE. AND I GET THAT YOU HAVE TO MAKE A LIVING. AND THE BIBLE CERTAINLY SAYS THAT YOU SHOULD. YOU KNOW, IT SAYS THAT IF YOU DON'T PROVIDE, YOU'RE WORSE THAN AN UNBELIEVER, RIGHT? SO THE BIBLE CERTAINLY SUPPORTS THE IDEA OF of PROVIDING, BUT GOD IS THE PROVIDER ULTIMATELY. So contentment is found in rejoicing in God's sovereignty, in resting in God's provision, and finally in relying on God's strength. Finally, we get to verse 13: "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." You're like, man, thank the Lord because I'm I need the strength right now to endure this last verse, Lord. So, here's here's one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses I think in the scriptures, and it's 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 used in a way for us to to defy our own human abilities, or we're trying to go after something that maybe is bigger, or we perceive it's bigger than we are, so we use that, this scripture, and we're just like, hey man, you know, you're going, <laughs> you know, you're, you want to dunk a basketball, but you're only five five, so you, you're just like, hey man, Philippians 4, thir- 13, man, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, do it, and you you miss, or, you know, you, 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 you want to get a promotion with a new corner office, and all of that, and, and you quote the verse, well, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or, or you want to get ripped in the gym, you know, you, you're putting on, you know, tons of weight, you want to get the max bench press and you're just saying, oh man, right before you lift it, you're like, I can do all things through Christ. That's not what this means at all. It's not what it means at all. It has nothing to do with that. What's the context of what he's talking about? Hardship. He's talking about difficulty. He's talking about how to get through hardship in your life. He's not talking about how to uh, soar the heights of whatever it is that you're pursuing. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about how to get through stuff. He's not talking about how to get to the mountaintop. He's, tra- he's talking about how to get through the valley. And he's saying you can get through the valley with Christ. You have the strength that you need. He's really relating it to your weakness. He's relating it to, to a place in your life where you have no capacity to do what it is that you're, 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 you're desiring to do. Like you have n- zero capacity And then you can quote the verse and you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm not saying it's wrong to quote it in any other context, but that is the context. And that's what he means by what he's saying. He's saying you can get through your hardship. So when we, and and that's not exactly what we want to hear when we're going through hardship is, hey man, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, no, I want to hear that when I'm heading for the mountaintop, and I want to hear that when I'm in the valley. I want to hear God saying, hey, I'm going to capture you out of this situation, and I'm going to put you on the mountaintop, But you know, and, and God can do that. No, he can get you through it, and that's what he's going to do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Paul said, it, said in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the reference. What are you weak at today? Where are you lacking the capacity to move from where you are to where God's calling you to be? Where is that? Quote yourself this verse in that context. Man, I'll never be able to share the gospel with people. I'm just not able to do that. I'm never going to be able to get out of this sin. It's just captured me. I can't do it. I'm never going to be able to be the husband or the wife that I'm called to. I'm never going to be what? What's the hardship? Whatever the hardship is, you know, you're lying to yourself to say that you can't do it. Because Paul's saying you can through Christ. There's no way you can do it in your own strength. We know that. But you can do it through Christ. You have the king of the universe on your side. You have the champion of champions on your side. You have the Lord. You have everything that you need. And it's all about surrender at this point. You need to rely on God's strength. So being content starts with rejoicing in God's sovereignty. It moves on to resting in God's provisions, and then finally on relying on God's strength. Listen, these are the keys to being content. And I know we're running a little bit late today, but listen, this is so important for you to understand. Because if you get this, it will change your life. If you get that you can rest in God, that you can rely on Him, that you can rejoice, then if you do these things in your circumstances, God will change your life forever. And I know Because he's done it in my life. And he wants to do it in your life. But you have to apply what he says. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace in our lives. We thank you, Father, for this scripture that is reminding us this morning of what we need to be content. And so we ask for every person in this place today, Lord. Maybe we're struggling. Maybe we're in a place of discontentment. Maybe we don't even know we're discontent. But in this moment, as we've been faced with this truth, we find ourselves saying, man, I'm wanting for things that are material, are um, things that aren't going to be able to bring me uh, closer to you, maybe perhaps bring me further away from you, Lord. And we're just asking you to rescue us from that heart, Lord. We're asking you to cause us to be content in who you made us to be, content in the things that you've allowed into our lives, the the, the resources that you've given us, Lord, and even the trials that we have to endure. And we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit today. We ask for your strength, Lord. None of this is possible without your Spirit in our lives. So what we need is just uh, we're going to ask this morning, Lord, for you to come even right now and strengthen us by your spirit and just speak into our lives as we uh, close this service out now. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.